You're listening to the Relationship Centered Learning Podcast, a podcast to inspire and empower you to be a difference maker in a dysfunctional educational system. Hear weekly from adults and students who are having a radical impact in the education space as they share from their minds and hearts, giving us practical tools that we can take back to our classrooms and campuses. Here to take you outside the educational box is author, disruptor, and your host, Kevin Curtis. Hey everyone, welcome back to today's episode. I get to sit down and interview Sheila McCollum. Now, Sheila is the CTE, that is the Career and Technology Education Coordinator for Decatur ISD here in Decatur, Texas. Sheila and I sit down and have some great conversation about leadership, about building relationships with staff, about administrators and teacher leaders and others being vulnerable, but also what are the differences we see between elementary, middle school, and high school? It's a great conversation. I thoroughly enjoy getting to know Sheila, and we also also talk about that, that it's simply the GTKY part of the show that can make a huge impact in a relationship. Hey, thanks for tuning in. Let's get started. Welcome to the Relationship Center Learning Podcast, where we put relationships at the center of all learning. I am delighted today to have Sheila join me on the show. Welcome to the show, Sheila. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Absolutely. So Sheila, just like every episode, we always model connections before content. We do that in the GTKY flip five format. So I'll ask you five simple GTKY questions, and then you can flip five back at me, and then we'll jump into today's content of the conversation. So question number one, Sheila, I'm going to ask a simple question, but really easy. But are you a big purse or small purse type of person? Actually, I'm a backpack person. Oh, okay. Whoa. Outside the box. Tell me a little bit about your theory. So not necessarily the purse, your backpack. I carry everything in my backpack on a day-to-day basis because I have my computer and I kind of have to travel around some. So I have a little pocket on the front that I keep my wallet in and then a little side pocket for my keys. If I have to go in anywhere, I just grab my wallet. Now I have a big purse that I carry sometimes, but I have a small purse I carry sometimes. <laughs> well, we say so women, women have a variety of different. Yeah, but but to know that you primarily use a backpack more than a purse, I think that's a little well. One, it's very educator like, but two, very practical. But I think it's a it's not typically the response I hear. So I love it. I love that visual. All right, okay. question number two. I'm seeing your watch. So you are you a iPhone or Android slash Google? Oh, I'm totally an iPhone. Are you? So my hundred percent buying. Yeah, I I I I get tempted sometimes when I see them and I hear you know, but I'm just I don't know. I don't know if it's comfort. I don't know what it is, but everything is I, you know, I'm I'm a Mac, I'm an iPhone, I'm, you know, so I'm just like two foot in or two feet in. So it's almost like, how do I change at this point? And I'm very yeah, comfortable. I agree. With it. Yeah. I'm I'm all Mac all the way. <laughs> Absolutely. So uh Sheila, what would you consider your most comfortable pair of shoes? Is it like house shoes, tennis shoes, work shoes? What's your uh, most comfortable ones, pair of shoes? The ones I just took off, actually. I put them on today <laughs> because I had to be out on several campuses. And so uh, I threw those on and they're a pair of, I don't think I'm saying it correctly. I just found them. I was in San Antonio visiting my daughter and I forgot to pack a pair of shoes. And so I went to the Birkenstock store Mm -hmm. and I was going to get a new pair of Birkenstocks, but these ended up being something called Ilse Jacobson, I-L-S-E Jacobson. And they are the most comfortable shoes I have ever owned. And um, Cassandra would probably be shocked because I'm always kind of known for my heels. Okay. uh, I'm a, they're flats. They're like tennis shoes almost. Oh, okay. 
So I love some really good, comfortable shoes, but what's crazy is, and I'm probably going to get really made fun of this, even by you probably, but I have a pair of Crocs that are probably 10 years old that are so soft at this point, you know, they seem like they're last forever, but I would tell you, like, I don't know, I guess over a decade, my feet have like shaped into them or whatever, but they are the most comfortable, not the most attractive yet appealing shoes, but it's comfort wise, I would go with my pair of Crocs. All right. Question number four. If you could drive any kind of vehicle, despite the amount of money, what vehicle would you drive? Oh, I'm a car person. So that You're a car is, person? I am a car person. Yeah, so I'm a truck is, person. So tell me what kind of car would you drive? Well, I mean, a vehicle person. I'm a vehicle person. So that's really tough. I don't know. I told my husband the other day that that'd be really, the new R8 Corvette is like really, really sharp. Okay. And then the McLaren, I kind of have a crush on it too. So, so you got car crushes. You have car crushes. I do. And 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 I, I like research my cars a long time before I buy them. So it took me about a year to pick the car I have now. And I really, the car I have now is like the favorite car I've ever owned. I have a Mercedes SUV. And okay. it's great to have to have it serviced, but it's a fantastic <laughs> car. But um, I don't know. That's hard. Like I would probably, I've always said if I won the lottery uh-huh. and had a lot of money, I would probably spend it not too smartly on a bunch of cars because I love vehicles. See, and, and that's I love so, my, husband's Jeep. my husband's Jeep is amazing too. You know, what's so funny is Sheila, and I say this and, and for our listeners, I z- had zero clue, nor Cassandra, who kind of connected us. Knew, I didn't know anything about your car crushes or that you're really into vehicles. So, so just, just a really good guess, or, you know, but a really good get to know you when you hit a question like that. So the last question is really simple. Thinking about n- just number five is how do you like your eggs? How do you like to pre- your eggs prepared? I don't like eggs. Oh, see, see, and that's a see right then and there like that. You don't hear that very often. So I got two really to me, you know, I say outside the box versus what most people. So, you know, so the fact is, so is it anything just, is it texture, preference, taste, anything? If you don't it's mind me asking. Smell. It's the smell. Oh, uh, okay. And we have chickens. My husband has to have these chickens. So I give all of our eggs away. Um, <laughs> I'm constantly like, Hey, do you need a dozen eggs? So we always have eggs, but. I'm oh, really I wish I was closer to you. Cause I love eggs. In fact, yeah, I just had to buy like, yeah, a bunch more. So um, we have 10 chickens, so we probably get eight to 10 a day. And so oh, yeah. And then unless I'm baking, I don't use those. I gotcha. So. That's good. All right. So that's five questions. You flip five back at me, get to know me, and then we'll jump in today's conversation. Okay. Uh, let's see. So who would be your number one celebrity dinner guest? Dwayne Johnson, The Rock. Okay. Why? I believe, and this is my, he may do a great job. I believe he's just so genuine. I believe he's genuine. I believe he's real. And I believe he literally cares about people despite his money and fame and success. And we actually show a quick little video sometimes that talked about him struggling in school and how he was disrespectful to his ended up being his high school football coach. He actually was using the men's staff restroom and got busted by the teacher who was actually the high school football coach. And he was very rude to him. And the next day he apologized to him and then he ended up playing football. And that's how he, you know, started his athletic career. And it all started because he met the coach in the bathroom where he wasn't supposed to be, but he just talks about how he felt bad and how he apologized. And I just see him and, you know, 
I don't know. I mean, I think he's inspirational, just his story. And I think he's so genuine and real and that he cares about people. And I would love a chance to connect with him at any level possible. Okay, number two, would you define yourself as humble, hungry, or smart? Ooh, humble. Okay. Absolutely. All right. Okay. Yeah, you gave me a chance when you had that accident. Gave me a chance to kind of drop some <laughs> questions down. Okay. Okay. So my favorite question, who is your hero and why? That's a good question. I've I've had this question before. And I look at when I say heroes, there's so many like different thoughts and categories that go through my mind. I'm a sports person. So, you know, I grew up being like a Roger Staubach fan. Like he was just a really, really. And then I grew and and I say this because I'm not trying to get away from the answer. I say like there were certain different points. There was different heroes. So like Roger Staubach. Right. Then I'm a San Antonio person. So David Robinson, the admiral. Right. The basketball player. There are certain people that have certain characteristics. So. It's like, I don't know if I really have one hero, to be honest with you. They're like different segments of my life have very hero type persons, particularly, and I'm drawn to sports, being a sports fanatic. So typically it would be somebody like Roger Staubach or David Robinson. Okay. All right. All right. Well, okay. Question four. So since you are in San Antonio and I, I go down there quite a bit to visit my daughter. So question four, what's your favorite restaurant in San Antonio? Oh man, in San Antonio. And I grew up bartending and waiting tables. And so I know so many of them. I love Asian cuisine. And so I'm really simple. I, I like, it's a, called Formosa Gardens. It's It's been around forever. Uh, I, some people when they think it's not the greatest, but like if I get a chance to run in town and I'm like, oh, I, I can grab some neat. I go to Formosa Gardens. It's just like, now that is like my standard go-to. Now I say, as I'm saying that, if I said my, like, if I go like birthday, like if I could go to like a birthday celebration, whatever there's at the Marriott, uh, the Marriott here, the big Marriott here, there's a, there's a restaurant called Cibolo Moon. Some of the best food I've ever had. They have a jalapeno chicken and waffles. They have a burnt ends with blue cheese appetizer that I could just eat as a meal meatloaf, bison, meatloaf. I mean, and, and they're the one of the few bars that is like, I forget what the title is, but they have so many tequilas and they're like certified as a tequila connoisseur type thing. If you want any type of tequila, they can make, they have it there. And it's, and I'm a tequila person. So to me, Cibolo Moon would be like my ultimate top favorite and Formosa Garden would be my go-to. Okay. I'll have to keep that in mind next time we're down there because she lives right outside of downtown. So that'd be an easy get to. Okay. If you could live anywhere in the world, where would that be? Ooh, if I could live anywhere in the world right now, believe it or not, in Nashville, Tennessee. Okay. Yep. I I visited it a few times and I don't know what it is. I love country music, but I just think everything surrounding Nashville and the proximity and everything. I don't know. Right now I'd be in Nashville, Tennessee. All right. Sounds good. All right. Pretty place. There That's you go. There you go. There you See, go. simple. I love Sheila's like, could, could you just stop answering him so long? Could you just get to the point and say Nashville and move on? So with that moving no, on, no, no, <laughs> I'm just teasing. No, no, no. I'm just teasing. Uh, with that, people, that is the GTKY Connect Before Content part of the show. So remember, Connections Before Content. Um, if you're wanting to know more about Connections Before Content, about our conference, about our CSRP training or anything else associated with us at RCL, head over to rclfirst.com and join our Facebook group or check out more information. All right, Sheila. 
that part out of the way, let's introduce who you are and where you're currently at in education with your you know, title and everything surrounding your responsibilities in education so our listeners get a little background. Okay. I'm Sheila McCollum. I am the CTE Director for Decatur ISD in Decatur, Texas. And I also CCMR also falls underneath me as well. So that accountability piece. I have been in education, this is year 31 for me. And so I have been a variety of things. I've been elementary, middle school, high school administrator, either principal or assistant principal. I have I taught sixth grade math like you did. So I'm one of those people, like I immediately start looking for those connections. So when you said that, I'm like, ah, I taught sixth grade math as well. So I've, I also, math was my background. So um, algebra was my favorite subject to teach. So I taught 10 years before I got into education. I've been, I've been the last 20 years in Decatur. So. Wow. Wow. 20 years in the same spot. That's crazy because some of us in education move around. So like, I unfortunately went through like my first, I think four years of teaching. It was like in a different place every year. Now, again, it was, is, it was all primarily around coaching, but at the end of the day, it still was, you know, moving. And then I think the biggest advice I got was, is you need to stick like into a place for a couple of years, but 20 years. Wow. What has it been like being in the same district for 20 years? It's been really neat because I started out as an elementary principal. So when I was an elementary principal, I had I had a group of kids. So I was there. I came in halfway through the year. So I was there for four and a half years as an elementary principal. And um, then I went to back to secondary. I'd been a, a secondary assistant principal. So I went back to secondary as an assistant principal. And um, I got to see those kids over time that I had in elementary. I got to see them graduate and come through. So it was really, it was really cool to see some of the kids that I had in elementary where I would think, oh my gosh, these kids are going to be nightmares by the time they hit high school. And they'd grown up. And by the time they graduated, they were amazing. So that was probably one of my coolest experiences. And my last group that I had would have graduated in 2018. So they were my first kindergarten class and they were the last time I was on a camp or as a campus administrator. And I actually ended that year as the interim principal. So it was really fun to know that I'd started their career with them and I ended their career with them as well in public education. Wow. That, that, that is very, that's looping up on steroids, right? Like you catch them at the other end of the exit. So entrance and exit ramps. So, so Sheila, when you think about that, I, I am like you, not that I got to experience them as in high school, but I look at kids that, you know, may have reached out to me on Facebook or something after they've graduated and, or you've seen and followed them in high school in some form or fashion, particularly even if you're not in the role that you're in, you've kind of seen kids grow. Isn't it interesting that some kids let's just be honest for a second. We look at them and think there's no way, right? Like, I'm just going to use that term. I'll let you read in between it, but we think there's no way. And then one day you look at them or you see them in a light. Then all of a sudden you're like, are you kidding me? Is that the same person that I saw earlier in their educational career? Right? Like, isn't isn't it weird how some of those like transformations occur throughout their entire educational like growth? Oh, it is amazing. I think about one young man that when he was in kindergarten, he um, was all over everywhere, a huge behavior problem. And of course, what do we start doing? We start trying to build relationships with him, with these parents, let the teachers work on those relationships as well. Before he got out of elementary, I transitioned up to high school. But then when he got to high school, he was probably one of the most polite, well-mannered young men that had been through school, super smart, very attentive. It just took some time for him to adjust to what public education expected of him. And once he did that, 
he was he was a rock star. And so I loved that. That was such a, a great success story. And that's what that's what feeds me is are things like that. Ooh. And then to see them after they go through high school and when they become grown young men and women. Oh that's so yeah. much fun. Oh uh, I, I think I in contact with so many of my students. Oh yeah. I think when you look at them when they're grown and you look back and you think, that's why I said you're like, how did you go from that to this? And then you yeah. think to yourself, right? Like I, I start sometimes almost reflecting back and was like, what was it? You know, like what, what was causing all of this, like whatever was going on you back at an early age, even if it's not kinder. I mean, I, I spent two years at the elementary. And so the, the other question I would ask you is I left from the high school to the elementary. Now I did it from like in a week's time. Like, so really in 72 hours, I had went from coaching football on Friday night to like being an assistant principal in a week later. So like in 72 hours, I was like showing up at an elementary campus for the first time. And I had not been, so it'd been 10 years since I did student teaching where I was on an elementary different variety. I haven't really spent any time. And it was, it was a, it was a, a little intimidating, like the little kids, you know, they started sharing things like, Hey, Mr. Curtis, you're, you know, you're, you may want to like you try to use an inside voice. And I was like, what the heck is an inside voice? She like, I'll have an inside voice. Right. You know, kids walked everywhere, supervised, you know, you open up ketchup packets with scissors versus, you know, your teeth. There was just so many, there were so many things that I had to learn. Did you find yourself in that same type of learning curve or did you experience any of those transitions between the grade levels? Oh, I really did because I had been a secondary person. And so I had this opportunity to go in and be a to be a high school or to be an elementary principal. So I'm like, okay, let's try this. And same thing. I had some teachers that came in before school started and I thought I had everything all planned out. And they asked me, they said, what door do we go in in the cafeteria? And I'm thinking, is this a trick question? What door do you go in? <laughs> I looked at them and I said, the open one? And they were like, no, no, no. Like you have to have, tell us what door we go in and what door we go out. Because if we don't, then the kids will get all mixed up and they'll end up in the wrong classes. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay. I never even thought of that. So I spent four years, four and a half years at the elementary level, and I kind of got used to it. And then when I went up to high school, back to high school, it was kind of nervous, like, wait a minute, you're not walking in lines. You're just being dismissed and go under the cafeteria on your own. Well, of course they are. Yeah, it was it was both ways, but it was fun. And I like to challenge myself. So, Oh, yeah. No, don't get me wrong. It was fun. I just like you said. I think there are some things, one, when you're not in leadership, you don't consider all the logistics of certain things go. But it, my quick funny story was beyond the cafeteria, I'll go outside after school, we would have radios, right? You know, and they would have placards and then you would come up and somebody down the line would radio and all this stuff. And the kids would sit in the hallways on the wall and then somebody would scream out their name. And, and I don't know. And again, sometimes you you're not coming from an elementary lens. I'll just call it that, right? Not that it's negative. But so I came in and one day, I don't know what I was thinking, but obviously I, I was told I was not thinking. I brought all the kids outside and we just started like, you know, saving a little bit of time. And this one teacher walked up to me and she was like, like, you could just tell, like, this is don't move my cheese, right? Like I had moved the cheese and this was jacking with her like elementary framework. And she was like, this is not the high school. I repeat, this is not the high school. You cannot just do things differently. We have a system here. And she just kind of went off on me and walked off. And I was like, I just, I just brought the kids outside. You know what I mean? Like we're, and so 
I, I had learned that if you didn't tell him what door to go in and then what door to go out, and if you didn't have all these things, whatever, yeah. And kudos to the elementary for my listeners, if you're an elementary folks, kudos because the you you are the basis and the foundation of everything that education starts with. So they need to know what doors they go into. They need to know what voice level. They need to be walked everywhere. My only thing is I became a middle school principal after that, Sheila. And like you said, I went, wait a minute, this kid who's in sixth grade, for example, right? Let's say that elementary goes up to fifth grade. And a lot of my experiences, they go to sixth grade, Sheila, and nobody's walking with them and nobody's telling them anything, right? And there was no transition between total supervision to no supervision. When I say that, not that there weren't teachers in the hallway, but it's like, go to class. And they're looking at their schedule and they're trying to open a locker for the first time. And they're just like, they, they go to put in their lunch number and they don't know their lunch number. So lunch takes an hour instead of 30 minutes because you've got, you know, 306 graders trying to figure out what their numbers are and the cafeteria ladies don't know. I mean, it was just chaos. And so I was like, we need to do a better job of transitioning the kids. So I say, why do sixth graders run? Because it's like putting them in pasture. They're like, I could sit anywhere I want. I could sit next to boys and girls. We don't have to like sit at certain places. I can like walk with the people that I want to walk with the class and nobody's going to like guide me in a line. You're like, no. And they're like, oh my God. Like, that's just a lot of freedom for, for some, for some kids. Would you agree? Oh, I totally would. And I kind of had a really unique pathway. Like I didn't follow and go up or go backwards. I started, I taught all the time in middle school. So I taught sixth, seventh, and eighth grade in middle school. Then I went to elementary. I was a, a middle school assistant principal. Then I went to elementary and then I went to high school. So it was like, okay, this is so backwards. But I guess it was kind of good because I got to see kind of where they were coming from in elementary. And then when I got to high school, kind of see where they're going to be going. So it, it kind of gave me a perspective of the whole education system. So, well, you know, it's funny you said that because I don't know if this will be a strategy for anybody, but when I interviewed Sheila, I was the only second now, this was an in-district position. So I wasn't interviewing outside the district. I was a high school teacher and a coach and I, you know, got my principal certification. So this was my first job to interview for. But when I interviewed, I knew Sheila, I was the only secondary person interviewing. Everybody else was elementary, right? So I knew that I had to set myself apart. So one, I definitely researched the campus. It was a dual language campus. You know, I learned a lot about their scores, but I think one of the other things that set me apart, which is what you just kind of alluded to. And so if you're ever interviewing for an elementary and you're a secondary person, uh, what I came in and Sheila is I said, look, I'm going to be very direct, kind of bold, to be honest. And I was like, look, you, you know, they always say at the interview, do you have any, you know, anything else you want to add to the committee or whatever? And I said, yeah, I just want to tell you, thank you for the opportunity. But, you know, I want you to probably realize that a majority, I use the majority, majority of the people will be interviewing this position are limited to an elementary viewpoint. And I said, and let me tell you why that could not, could make me a different candidate. I said, look at it like a kaleidoscope. I said, some people can only see from the, you know, from the, from the end to fifth grade. I said, I have, I can see what it looks like to sixth grade, to seventh grade, to ninth grade, to 12th grade, right? All the way up. I have this continuum view of what students need and what they will look like at the other end. And I think what you just described is, is when we get that K-12 experience, and you, and you look at that lens, you can see so that that teacher that says, what are you doing, right? You're like, I'm just preparing them for what's going to happen at the next level. Because in, 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 in my last district where I lived in Shirt Cibolo, they do an intermediate where they have uh, fifth and sixth graders. 
And so what's interesting is at one of the campuses, the, the biggest issue, Sheila, for them, their biggest, biggest issue on this campus was voice level in the hallway should be zero or one. Oh, okay. Oh, no, I know, right? It puts it in perspective. Mm -hmm. And I was like, so I have a question for you. What is the expectation at the seventh and eighth grade? They're like, oh no, their hallways are like whatever. And I said, so like you realize like transitioning them, right? Setting them up for reality. That was my only thing about just understanding, like I can help you see what you can't see because you've never been outside the elementary. Not that that's a negative thing, but you haven't seen what that looks like and what they're going to be experiencing. So I think when you talk about that zigzag of like middle school to elementary to high school and seeing all three of them, what are your thoughts when you look at kind of the, the transitions between the three of them or, or any takeaways? I would agree with you. I think it's sometimes really hard for kids to go from a very structured environment in elementary to a less structured middle school. It even became even more apparent from middle school to high school, especially with those freshmen, because middle school teachers, a lot of those do have like a K-8 certification. So they have done the elementary. So they're still structured, but then they go to high school and those freshmen have all of that freedom and they tend to take advantage of that sometimes. And we used to have um, indicator, we had open campus up until a few years ago. And freshmen were not supposed to go off campus, but of course they're going to go off campus. They were working on sneaking off. So they they went from being monitored at lunch to where, hey, just run over to McDonald's. So it was, I, I have seen that to where there are some difficulties. But, you know, I think if, like you said, with relationships, you know, that's that's the focus here. Yeah. You build those relationships all the way through. And it helps with the kids and helps them feel like they have someone they can go to on that campus. Help and guidance. So- I always tell people out of all three levels, I struggled. I'll use that word. I struggle with the middle school the most. And I, I okay. And, and and there are people that are have a special place in heaven that are like molded for middle school, right? And and here's what I told them, Sheila, was I think as I reflect now, not currently in the moment, I think as I reflect back, particularly because I was a nose-to-nose, toes-to-toes, disciplinarian, football coach, you know. I think what I struggled to understand, and there was a gentleman on on the podcast, uh, Dave Schmidto, and he had said, I'm, I'm a middle school kid at heart. Like he's still right in his age, in adult age. He's like, I, I still resonate with them. He's like, I tell fart jokes. I, I laugh with them. I think like a kid, you know, and I said, okay. But I told him, I think I struggled the most, Sheila, because I just... I failed to see them, which was really bad. I failed to see them as just really big kids because of my secondary background and they're so big, like some of them are way taller than I am. And you, you just look at them as young men and women that I treated them probably more secondary than under. And I, I don't think I really truly let myself develop like what should expectations be and how should I be interacting with middle school kids? I think I was looking at them as just younger high school kids. Let's just call it that. And I think that when I look back on my lack of building relationships until restorative practices was mandated on my campus, I was doing a horrible job because I I didn't want to know my kids. I just wanted them to listen and do what they were supposed to do, which is a very secondary mindset. Like your job is to learn this information, get ready and get to high school and get prepared for life. And I think for middle school, it's, it's such an odd time in their life. I think they need the opportunity to kind of flex and grow and figure out who they are. And, and uh, I think I struggled in that space. What are your thoughts when you hear that from me? Well, I would say middle school, I think is, was probably one of, was the most challenging as far as 
students went, but I think that was because they are in such different places in their life. And there's so many changes going on. And of course, back when I was in the classroom and even at middle school, we didn't have social media. So they weren't being bombarded with all of that all of the time. So they got to be, they got to go home and be kids and not have to deal with that. So I wasn't having to worry about all of those issues, but that was a challenge, but probably the most difficult for me was elementary. And I think where I struggled with elementary, because I had been at high school and they were kind of like many adults, I could build those relationships. And I'm kind of like your previous guest. I kind of have the middle school mindset. I definitely have a high school mindset. Pretty much anything I hear, sometimes I can make it totally inappropriate just because I think like a high school kid. Yes. Then, um, so going to elementary, it was harder because those little guys, and I love them dearly, but they they weren't couldn't have those cool conversations with them like you could with middle school kids. So as far as being an administrator and on a campus, I would say elementary was the toughest for me. I enjoyed my time at house at middle school. It was just such a challenge for the kids. My favorite grade level by far is high school. And when I got to high school, I was a little scared, but I got up there and it was like, okay, these are really just little guys in big people's bodies. And they had the same issues as the little guys did. They just, they were, it was a little different twist on it. They were still struggling to make friends. They were still struggling with things that were going on at home and getting their homework done. So it was kind of still the same struggles. So we were kind of still helping them along, but um, I enjoyed teaching. I spent 10 years at, actually I spent 11 years at middle school. So, and I didn't know any better. I thought it was the greatest thing in the world. And then I get to high school and it's like, okay, these guys are really pretty awesome. Well, I would agree with you. I'm more of a secondary mindset person too. And I thoroughly enjoyed the conversations and the relationships I was building with high school students they were just a little bit older in, in, in those connections, in those conversations just seemed to be something that resonated with me, how I'm wired. It was interesting. And I saw some of that at the, at the middle school. Don't get me wrong. The, the only thing, and I don't know if you experience this when it really comes to like building relationships, but at the elementary, the one thing that you, um, I guess for me, I was instantaneous is like, you're a rock star. Like all of a sudden, Sheila, like Mr. Curtis is amazing and awesome. And you've never met me. You just know my name, right? So like they would like want to hug you and high five you. So it was a different, when I say relationship, it was a different type of relationship because they couldn't have, they wouldn't have necessarily the conversations or those types of things. But as far as making you feel uh, valuable and just make you feel seen and heard, holy cow, there's no other campus or grade levels. I mean, go to a K through two, I mean, even doesn't matter, but early childhood and you're like Santa Claus. I mean, do you ever experience any of those like like high five moments when you're at the elementary? Oh, absolutely. And of course, Decatur's small. So if I happen to be in Walmart picking something up, then, um, you know, I would see, I'd hear the little kids, I'd hear whispers and I'd look around and they'd be tugging on their mom and like, that's my principal. That's my principal. And so it was, it was, you you felt like a celebrity. Um, But weirdly enough, I kind of even sometimes had that with my high school kids because I think I had really good relationships with those kids and go somewhere and they just give me big old bear hugs. Even now, grown men and women, um, one of my favorite restaurants to go eat, several of the young men who they, they actually own it, their parents own it. I walk in, I get hugs from them. So it's the greatest thing in the world. So I still get that. And that, that's, that's fun. But yeah, I'll admit at elementary when they would see you and yep, you were a rock star completely. 
I always joke because I, I love dogs and you know, my dogs, I could walk out the front door, Sheila. And when I walk back in, it's like, they haven't seen me all day. Right. Right. And so I'd walk into a first grade class and I'd be like, Hey, Mrs. So-and-so or Hey kids, you know, whatever, and deliver something or whatever. And I'd walk out and you know, oh, like, I forgot to tell her this. And you walk back in they're just, they light up like they hadn't seen you all day. And right. I was like, I was just in here like 15 seconds ago, but yet they're, they're just, but I'm with you, whether it's at the grocery store or restaurant, I, I, I love the fact that those types of connections we make with kids end up just being impactful and not just for them, but for us. Like, I think sometimes we take for granted that some of us, not all of us, but some of us in education are wired that we really need those type of, like you said, those hugs and those moments of genuine connection with students, because you, you had said, you realize it fills your bucket. You know, it's, 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 it's who you are as a person. So whether it's at the elementary, middle school, or high school, did you ever, when you were leading a campus, did you ever take the conversation with the staff and ever talk about, like, I always talk about classroom connections or with kids and campus or connections with adults, right? Did you ever have any conversations or PD or anything built around campus connections where adults could experience that staff to staff member? Did you ever do anything to address that or talk about that with the mindset? Uh, we really didn't. And I, I, and it's funny you bring that up because I just, right before Cassandra reached out to me, I just talked to another colleague of mine and I said, you know, one of the things that we can do when we retire, because her and I have been through, she and I have been through a lot together. And I said, we really need to start some sort of PD for how teachers can build relationships with other teachers and with parents, because I think that's a piece that really lacks because there's automatically this animosity. So we, we really didn't do anything like that. And I, I wish I, I had Now You know, we did team building and that type of thing. But as far as just intentional, no, there was no intentional training. Yeah. And we would talk about it with, we would definitely emphasize with teachers on how important it was to have those relationships with the students. but. Yeah. But so not staff to staff. So it sounds like, Sheila, you're just going to have to join our team like Cassandra because we offer training for teachers and we, draw, we train parents. So, you know, we we figured out exactly what you said and we figured out that that was a need out there. And in fact, when we come into districts, we always remind them, like you said, 99% of the districts will call and say, all right, we want to teach our teachers how to build relationships with kids. And I'm like, hey, that's fantastic. Can I talk to you a little bit about your staff members? Like if you don't have them do campus connections, it's not going to filter down into sustainability for classroom connections because it really enhances the quote unquote teacher buy-in when they're like, well, I learned about Sheila that she's like car crazy and that she's really into cars or whatever, because we had a 60 second or late break or a two minute connection during a faculty meeting, because all it takes one time Sheila is, is like one one quick, like, oh, I didn't know you were a car enthusiast, or I didn't know you liked tequila, or oh my God, that's my favorite restaurant too, or oh, you taught so and so, right? Like, it takes just a couple of those little dot, dot, dots before two people that didn't really know each other nor really cared about each other all of a sudden they're like, oh my God. Now, I'm not saying they're BFFs, that's not where I'm going, but all of a sudden they're like, holy cow, like, even though Sheila's our principal. We know that she likes this, this, and this. And I think that's, it kind of goes with the kids because staff see leaders like kids see teachers, right? Like they're not human. Like they're not supposed to cry. Like they're not supposed to have bad days. And, and I think it's good. And in fact, I won't mention any names, but one time I worked for a principal as an assistant principal and Sheila, I tried to explain to this person, like, 
I'm trying to be like your campaign PR manager. Like, like they need to know that you're human. They need to know that you're staying. They need to know where your mind is. They need to know these things, right? And he literally said, look, Kevin, that's why I hired you. Like, you're about relationships. I'm about results, right? Like, my job is to get this campus into this result area, you know, these this growth area of results. And, um, like, that's not my area of, you know, I'm not, that's not my area. And I was like, and so I always tell people, and I don't know if you ever felt this way, if you've ever been in this situation, but I always tell principals when I work with leaders now, Sheila, I tell them, look, you can have the most amazing assistant principal in the entire world. Like they could be the best leader ever, but they can take you inside the 20, but they can't take you to the end zone, right? They can take you to the, to the Jordan, to the river, but they can't take you across into the promised land. Like it's the principal who is the only key figure at the top of that pyramid of that campus that can truly move the entire staff to the end zone. I can take them there. I can talk about it. Sheila, I can be like, look in the end zone, look everybody. And they're like, yeah. And they're like, we're waiting for that person to move. And we're like, they're not going to move. And you're (laughs) there. So they're going to be like, well, then this is as far as I can take you. So I always remind leaders, like if you're not two feet in and something, and for my world, it's relationships, right? If you're a principal and you're not two feet in in bringing relationships to the center of your learning, but you you say, but my assistant principal is, I'm like, good luck. And see, I think some people appreciate that directness and other people are like, <gasps> and I'm like, no, I'm, I've just, I've seen it fall too many times because when I was doing it, Sheila, it was like, oh, that's a Kevin thing. Go see Mr. Curtis. You mean, oh yeah, relationships, that's Curtis. Oh, you want to repair something? That's Mr. Curtis. Oh, it's restorative? That's Mr. Curtis. And then what you find out is when you leave, it leaves with you. What are your thoughts when you think about system principles and principles and just that that dichotomy? Well, you really made me start thinking because I'm thinking about a person that I worked with. I worked with and I said we didn't do anything intentional, but we did we did our our strengths. We did a strengths finder. Everybody on that campus did strengths finder. So as weird as that is, it really did give us a common culture. So we were able to see it. We would go, oh, you're a relator, too. But it also so. I, I think it, and we were very, very successful when this person was, was our leader. So I, you know, I wonder maybe, maybe really and truly we did do some more of that, but I think that always Brene Brown, and I'm a huge fan of Brene Brown, dare to be vulnerable. And I think you have to do that. I think you have got as a leader, let yourself be vulnerable, let your staff see that the year that I was an interim principal, it was a crazy time. And, and those relationships that I'd built with those teachers, because we had built those relationships, man, they would have gone through fire. We would have gone through fire for each other. And roughest year, but the best year too. So so you bring up a key factor that comes up in a lot of my conversations, particularly on the podcast is, is that vulnerability. In fact, the first episode, Joe Beckman says, He's not an educator. I call him the human connector, but he said teachers and educators are try- too busy trying to be extraordinary. They just need to be ordinary. And when you make ordinary, Dave Stewart Jr. talks about MGC is a moments of genuine connection, right? So then I'm going to ask you, what is your opinion after all these years and your experiences and all the variety of leadership positions and teaching you've been in? Why is it so hard for us, even as teachers or as leaders to be vulnerable? What are you, what do you think some of the things that, that either systematically hold us back or just personally hold us back? What are your thoughts? I was going to say that probably it's a society thing because we've always looked to the leader of the school as being a strong leader and you're tough and you never cry and you never let your guard down. And that's just something that we've, we've as a society created this image of this principle that's invincible and 
imperfect. And, and we also, I think, build ourselves up to be that way. And so maybe that's why I'm, I'm not sure. But I think when I started letting myself be vulnerable and when a teacher would come in and I would be like, they'd be like, how are you today? Well, you know, it's been a really rough day that I'd get things like, well, what can I do to help? Not that I was trying to dump stuff on them, but those connections were made. And so we knew, and it, they, they would be vulnerable with me then. They, they, when I said, hey, how can I help you? They'd be more willing to say, I'm, can you help me do this? So we, we were, it was a team effort and not so much a, here I am up here in this really high position and I'm up in the ivory tower and I'm just telling my minions what to do. So it was a team effort. And our whole leadership team kind of all had that, that opinion that year, those couple of years, nobody, there was, there weren't any egos involved. It was just kind of like, we're all here to do what's best for kids and to make this place work. And we ended up with six distinctions one year and all seven the next year. Mm. So, and, and I honestly, people say, what did you do? I don't know. It's all about relationships. I swear it was the relationships that did that. And it, it cause it went right on down to the kids. The kids felt safe. They felt supported. The parents felt safe. They felt supported. And then, you know, years Things switch up and change, and I've seen that. And then all of a sudden, the relationships aren't there. The success isn't there. Because if you if you don't have those relationships and there's not the trust that's built, then I would see students that would be like, yeah, you don't, you don't care what I think. I'm not going to do this for you. And teachers who would be like, ah, I don't have that relationship with you. Why am I going to go put in an extra two hours tonight to try to make this great? Because I'm not going to get recognized for it, or you're not going to appreciate it, or a variety of different reasons. Yeah. So, I, 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 you know, at Ed White, we were able to get four distinctions in one year. We went from not meeting any, you know, any accountability, federal or state. And then we turned around in one single year and got four distinctions. And then, you know, we grew 25% each year, the following two years. And, and people say, what was the biggest difference? And as you said, it was relationships. I had a kid go from 54 referrals to four. Mm-hmm. And when I asked him, Sheila, I said, so what was the biggest difference? And he said, to be honest, you just like treated me different. You talked to me different. You treated me different. You like asked about me. Like I went from telling kids to kick rocks that when I suspended them, I'd like, Hey, I love you. And you made a poor choice today and we're going to send you home, but you're going to come back tomorrow and you're going to have a great day. I mean, like that, that is not the normal suspension. And that was not the guy who was suspending previous years before that, you know, I just told him, and that's why I talk, I, I, when I talk to leaders, particularly, but even teachers, I say, you know, when kids make mistakes and I said, now I'm going to say that again, because I don't think you heard it. Not you, Sheila. I'm talking to them, right? I'm like, when, when, when kids make mistakes and they're like, and I'm like, when I said, why are y'all so darn surprised that kids up in your office? Why are you so darn surprised that kids are, you know, not solving a math problem correctly? Like, I don't understand where we get this, like kids are supposed to be perfect, all these different things, but yet my adults are hot messes. Oh my God. They're like, this kid needs to be taught a lesson. I'm like, like you ain't turned your lesson plans in in 13 weeks. And you're still like talking about like accountability or this kid needs to learn to get to class on time. I'm like, like you've been late three times this week, you know, like, and that's that thought bubble above my head that, you know, you want to come out, but you don't want to say. And, you know, I just think that it's early. It's funny because when you described earlier, when I said, like, why can't leaders and teachers be vulnerable? You said, well, we're, we're supposed to be this certain person, right? I don't know why, but I started thinking, uh, and this is not political, but I started thinking like presidential candidates, right? Like presidential candidates, uh, governors, people that are in these political leading offices, aka, but then superintendents and principals, like you just go down the list of leaders 
from the president down, we have brought, brought up in a society that those people are supposed to have it all together and they're supposed to be strong and they're not supposed to be vulnerable. That's why we're like, oh my God, the president has a dog, you know, or whatever. I'm, you know, being facetious, but I'm like, oh, they have, oh, they have, they, they did something, they fell, they slipped, they, whatever, I don't know, whatever's, but at the end of the day, they're just human beings. And I, and I don't know why titles nor responsibilities have to tarnish or take away from that effect. What are your thoughts? I, I agree. I agree with you on that. I, I don't know why, um, but they, they do. And it's always shocking like that, that we'd make mistakes. We're human beings. We always make mistakes. We're always going to make a mistake. So, you know, I'm the same way with you. When they would come in, I would always tell them, I'm not mad at you. I'm mad at the poor decision you made, or I'm upset, not mad necessarily, yeah. but I'm disappointed in the poor decision. I still love you, but to, to let them know that you can still be a human being and, 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 be a leader and still make mistakes, a student, a teacher, anybody. I just think that what you just described, we're not taught. We're not taught in college. We're not taught in life. We're taught if you want to be a political figure, you better not have any skeletons in your closet, right? You have been, you know, it's the whole, what was it, Clinton? I, I smoked, but I didn't inhale, All right? Like, you, you know, it's I'm just... Again, I'm not trying to be political. I just meant, but it's like these things, like you are not allowed to inhale. If you've ever inhaled, you are never allowed to be president nor a leader or whatever, right? And and if you just go the other direction, that's what I'm saying. Like if you've ever had a quote unquote choir practice, and I think you know what that is by all this time in education, if you go to a choir practice, right, Sheila, and let's say that you have a, an alcoholic beverage in front of your staff or you're a teacher that everybody sees you as very tight and introverted and whatever, and you go and you have a glass of wine or a margarita or whatever, right? Like all of a sudden they're like, oh my God, she drinks. And it's not a judgment, but it's like, she's human. She, she has alcohol. And that's why I'm like, yeah, I struggle. I have a glass of wine. I have good days. I have bad days. There are days. And I used to tell people there are days as a male, Sheila, I would sit in the parking lot sometimes and I'd start my vehicle and I would just sit there for a few minutes and I would just be like, oh my God, (laughs) like what was today? Today was a show. I'll let you fill in the word. Right. But no, you know, and then I'm like, and I got to come back tomorrow morning and do this all over again. Right. And you walked in with an agenda, you walked in with a schedule, you walked in with a plan. And then you realize you're just like a fire person. You just go out and put out fires all day long. You don't, you didn't get to anything on your to-do list, you know, but yeah. Or you sit in a parking lot and you're like, okay, let's see. Johnny only hit Susie six times today versus 12. So there's a positive, you know, you just start justifying crazy thoughts that other people at their jobs, they just get in their car and they go home, you know, right. They can turn that off. And I'm like, I don't know how to turn it off. Like I can't like, and I'm not judging. I'm saying most educators, they don't stop being an educator just because they simply leave the school. Totally agree. Totally agree. And it was a hard thing for my family to realize was that I did not stop being an educator. And I was, I was always going to be an educator, especially, you know, as, as a, high school administrator, phone calls that would come on the weekends, phone calls that would come at, at night um, for s- different things. And I, some things were serious enough to where, yes, I've had to get up and leave a family dinner before to go deal with something. I remember in New York, I got a phone call. Um, some kids were on, a, I was, it was spring break. I was in New York with my family. I get a phone call from one of my teachers. They had some kids out on a, um, an event over spring break. A kid got busted with pot on this. He's like, what do I do? So of course I had to deal with that. So I had to tell my mom and my daughters, because it was kind of a girl's trip. Hey, time out. Let me go handle this. And 
my kids, I think, resented it, but I think that they they definitely understand it because now one is a teacher and the other one is in um, she works. She works in collegiate athletics, but she still does stuff with kids. Anyway, I, I think it just kind of gets ingrained in them. And, and now they kind of understand why you got to take the time out and do that. But you never stop being an educator. And it is, it is exhausting. Luckily for me, I have about a 30 minute drive home. So I'll put a book on tape or I'll listen to some crazy music, something to decompress. And through the years, I've just learned when I come in, I might tell my husband the highlights, a funny story, but then that's it. We don't talk about it anymore. Right. So, so, so as we're, as we're winding down, what's your favorite? Well, besides Bray Brown, cause when I'm a, I'm a huge Brene Brown fan too. So I definitely listen to her, her different podcasts and, and follow her. So besides Brene, Brene Brown, who else has been influential that you could think, and it could be professional or it could just be personal. If you're for our listeners, what's somebody that somebody should check out either a podcast or an audiobook that you think would, you'd like to share with somebody if you could share one with them. Well, you know, this is, this is probably terrible. I don't listen. I, I read a lot. I, and the podcasts I listen to are usually going to be fiction. Just something to kind of take my mind off things. That's uh, okay. And it can be a book. It can be a written book. What just a resource. Oh, what's, okay. what's probably, well, it's not, it's not even anything related to education. No, but, that's what I'm saying. Just give us something. Okay. Mark Sullivan wrote beneath a scarlet sky and it is based on world war two. And it, it is something that really and truly, it does change my whole perspective. And it was a, about a, a young man in Italy during World War II when the Nazi Germany was occupying that and just the struggles. But it, and then, of course, it touches on the plot of the Jews. And it made me stop and think that no matter how bad a day might be, and I can't tell you how many times I think this, no matter how bad a day might be, my life didn't even, it doesn't even begin to compare to how some of those soldiers and the people who lived in Europe during World War II, what they faced. So I remind myself of that all the time. That book was, was touching. It was, it's even above To Kill a Mockingbird with me. Oh, wow. No, see, that's exactly. And that's why I said, I, I think I apologize for not framing it. My point is like not educational because I always tell people like, for example, when I tell teachers, when you get to know your students, don't make them academic based questions, please. So I should have framed it better. But my point was, that's exactly what people like me and hopefully listeners, whoever's listening to this podcast, um, whether anybody's listening, Sheila, to you and I. So you don't have to worry. This may just be you and I. No, Other than Cassandra, nobody may may ever listen to this. But no, that's exactly the point of, I'm so glad you answered that question. And I was able to kind of guide you outside of education because we're so used to spending all of our time in that arena that it is good to know that there's a book or something else that reshapes how you think about your day or reflect on your day or just how you grow personally. Like, so for example, I'm listening to an audiobook. I'm a very, I'm an audio listener. I love, and not necessarily just podcasts. I'm not an avid reader. I have never developed a, a passion for reading. I read for requirement. And so not that I, I hear that that should change. I should give it a second chance. But I will tell you, I'm listening to a book called Mr. Nice Guy. And I will tell you, if you're a gentleman out there and you have ever wondered, like I've been in two failed marriages, Sheila. And so I'm trying to like, okay, what's going on with me? So there's a, a I think it's called uh, Mr. Nice Guy by Dr. Robert Glover. And I would just tell you, um, it's been six and a half hours of an incredible journey of an audiobook that's really 
given me some self-reflection on just being a male, but also in males and relationships. And so, so the things, so, so for me is those are the great things I think that we should share with each other beyond classroom building relationships with staff and students and those types of things, because we're all human. And I think we're all learning how to feel valued, seen and heard and just reshape ourselves. And so, uh, first of all, I just want to thank you for being on the podcast today and thank you for sharing your stories and your experiences. I believe I'm taking away a couple of things today. I'm taking away the way that we look at kids and the expectations that we put on uh, based on the grade levels or the, the elementary, middle school and high school is something that I think as educators, we have to consider. I think we have to figure out another way of transitioning kids. And that, that doesn't mean from class to class. I'm talking about from transitioning from one grade to the next. I think that when I listen to your conversations, I think that what, I, what I'm hoping our listeners will take also away is, is the fact that when, if we don't, and as you mentioned, I say, I always came up with this phrase, Sheila, you can't wing relationships. And this is not a criticism, so please don't take this. But like, in other words, I think some schoolers like you, we were just winging it and we did a strength finder or we did something, you know, but we never intentionally did something. But I also um, look back and to be honest, when we were researching, there's not a whole lot of PDs that are truly designed to bring uh, and I say staff, not just at HR staff, I'm talking about educators to educators, bring them together to connect. So I, I believe that we have to figure out a way to connect our adults, because if we don't connect our adults, they're never going to see the value to connect them with the kids. So when, as any final parting words for any potential listeners that are listening to our conversation today, Sheila? You know, you mentioned something right there at the end, and I do think We've got to start looking at those relationships. And if you are a leader to do that PD on those relationships, I think that was always kind of the stuff I thought that was fluffy. It wasn't data. We weren't making plans. And then now that I've actually lived it, I've realized that relationships, it doesn't matter how great your data is or what your plans are. If you don't have the relationships in place, you're never going to be able to achieve what you've set out to do because there's got to be trust and uh, respect that happens with a relationship. Wow. Well, all I can tell you, Sheila, is that's probably one of the most powerful parting words I have ever had in over 60 plus episodes. I think you said it very concise, very poignant. No, and I truly mean that. Like, yeah, it was a great summation. So Sheila, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for being the person you are. Thank you for letting Cassandra twist your arm and get you on here and getting those words out. But but I do want to thank you for your time. For our listeners, um, I'm hoping that you gained some valuable tools, that you took one tool or one thing to take away today to make an impact on the staff or a student. So with that said, I look forward to connecting with you next time. 